weird. Nobody played with shells. Anyway, um, yeah, welcome to Kahava. I'm really, really glad to see everybody. A lot of great people, you know that? Thank you for the eight people that clapped. I'm like Jeb Bush. Please clap. Anyway, um, that's a deep cut from when y'all were 12. Thank you. Uh, so, um, yeah, first, I need to kind of uh, address some stuff that, that uh, is sad. Um, and, it, and it really is. Um, some of you may know this, some of you may have seen on social media or something like that, but uh, Richard Bam's father passed away this last weekend in a really tragic accident. It was a complete total surprise. Um, so Richard and Lindsay are out right now with their family. Um, so pray for them. It's completely unexpected. Uh, and it's it's been really rough on them. So y'all pray for them. Um, keep them in their prayers. Continually pray for them. Also, when, when they get back in town, and we don't know when that is, uh, but it will be sooner than later, we'll need to ra- rally around them and help them because they're supposed to be moving out of their apartment right now. Right? So we'll need to show up and carry boxes and throw stuff into boxes and all that. And they may say that they don't need help and don't want it, but uh, who cares what they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, do you mind if we just pray for them yeah. right now? Yeah. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, um, we love you. God, you say that uh, we are to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And our hearts are just broken. Lord Jesus, um, this is hard. It's hard to watch our friends go through this. It's hard to watch people in pain and hurt. But Lord, what we know is that you didn't shy away from it. Or that you know exactly how they feel. Because you experienced loss as well. So Father, I pray with all the compassion you have in your heart, you be near to them. Close to Richard and Lindsay and little Alice, even though she probably doesn't know what's going on. Richard's mother and all of his family. Lord, be with them and bless them. Be near to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, So we did a lot of traveling this weekend. Uh, Some of it was unexpected because of what happened with, with Richard's family. Um, but I got, I had the joy of going to preach at a, a church down in the Houston area in Richmond, Texas, which is, um, like Katy, Texas, but worse. Um, if any of y'all are from the Katy area, you know what I'm saying. Um, but, uh, while I was like at this church, right, I'm going to preach at this church and I'm doing like my market research, right? You always, I always try and check like, what did the pastor preach about last week? You know, and. And check out the church's website. I saw this person on the banner of the website. Who was like the most important person that I've ever met in my life. Outside of my wife in Jesus. Okay, so like the third most important person that I've ever met in my life. And uh, it was uh, this guy uh, right there. See that dude right there? Yeah. yeah. That was my first small group leader. So I walk into this church. And I see the dude that is more responsible for who I am walking with Jesus than anyone else on the planet. That man right there. Right? 
if if you want to hear dirt on my life, you just got to track down Jeff Clifton, right? I was whatever you imagine a bad small group member is. I was twenty times worse than that. I was horrible. His resource leader, right, the guy that was discipling him, was like, "Dude, just kick Scroggins out. Just just kick him out. He's horrible." And I was horrible. But because that dude loved me and was patient, right? I, I just I had no defense. I had no defense. And because of that, I stand here today. Is that not cool? Yeah, so like, if I've done anything good, like in my life, it's probably because that dude prayed for me and he loved me and he showed me the character of Jesus, which is pretty legit, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really cool that I saw him because I wanted to talk about discipleship tonight. Right? And the thing that I want us all to ask ourselves is, have we been discipled? That's the question that we are asking ourselves tonight. Have we been discipled? Right? And uh, if you have your Bibles open, to you, open um, or with you or whatever, you know, log on to your Bible app. I don't know how it works. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in verse 18. Alright, so... Uh, while you're looking for it, I'll, I'll kind of set it up. One of the major recurring themes in the New Testament is this idea of unity, right? Uh, Jesus repeats this multiple times in sermons and in prayers, uh, especially in John chapters 15, 16, and 17. He talks over and over about the need for unity. Um, and unity isn't only this idea uh, of just like being together, but it's this, it, it's, not that we should love and trust each other, but it's like we need to love and trust one another. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Christian, Christian unity is, yeah. right? Is the need, recognizing the need to love and trust one another. Uh, Paul also brings this up over and over in almost all of his letters. Actually, almost all of Paul's letters boil down to just like, hey guys, get along. Just try it. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and... I think Paul drives it home the hardest here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, where he writes, But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we be with us. Will you speak to us tonight? Lord Jesus, help us um, hear what you have to say tonight. We ask you to just come and be our king. Lord, be the boss of our lives. Lord, point out what needs to be pointed out as right or wrong. Lord, encourage us where we need to be encouraged and correct us where we need to be corrected. We love you and we trust you. Amen. So in this chapter... Of 1 Corinthians, right? First, first, the Corinthian church is an absolute mess, right? It is utter chaos all the time. You know, Paul is telling them, like, hey, guys, spiritual gifts are great and everything. Which, by the way, if you're new here, uh, we're Pentecostal. We're siblings of God. That means we believe in speaking in tongues and all that stuff, right? Uh, if that weirds you out, don't worry. We don't do it too often, okay? Um, it, it's in your Bible. It, it is biblical, all right? Um, some, most of the time. But the way the Corinthians were doing it wasn't biblical. That's why Paul wrote it, and that's why it's in the Bible, because the way they were doing it was bananas, right? People were just standing up and screaming things, or like, 
you know, I, I have been to the church, churches where they're like doing laps, you know what I'm talking about? I'm like, what are you doing? Like chasing the Holy Ghost? I can't understand. But that's the Corinthian church, right? So Paul, he's talking about unity in showing how the gifts of the Spirit should like work together. And they signify that we play different roles in the body of Christ. Does that, does that make sense? To some is given the gift of prophecy, to some the gift of tongues, to some the gift of faith or healing. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. He's like, we've all got these different functions, just like the body has a different function. Yeah. However, I, I don't think it's a leap to say that this idea extends out even to our character and personalities. Right? It's not just about the gifts. It's also about who you are. Yeah. Your character is a unique role in the body of Christ. Your personality. In fact, your character, I think, is the most important thing in the universe to God. See, God wants to spend eternity with you. But He also wants you to be someone worth spending eternity with. Have you ever thought about that? Like, it's not enough that He gets you into heaven. He has to get heaven into you. Right? Like, some of you have had terrible roommates, right? Like, don't raise your hand right now if, like, you have one immediately. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Right. Pray for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you might have to talk to your boy over there. I don't know. <laughs> I've, had, I've had some bad roommates. I have five bad roommates right now. They never clean up after themselves. It's really annoying. Right? And, and I'll bet if you remember the worst roommate you've had, like spending every moment with them feels, just feels like spending an eternity, right? Like the dishes are always in the sink. The laundry, their laundry is never out of the washer when you need it. And when you open it up, it smells like booty. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> when they sat in there too long and then you got to rewash it for them. Oh, yeah. Or if you're like me. Uh, and and uh, you just don't care. You just throw them, throw it in the dryer. I mean, now it's baked in. Sorry. You know? Anybody ever do that? Don't raise your hand. But God sees it, and we'll pray for forgiveness. I remember with my roommate Michael, the guy that comes up and talks about Camp Shoya. You know him. Uh, we lived together for for a couple of years. And I would get so frustrated about him leaving dishes in the sink. I would just pick up his dishes and put them in his bed. <laughs> You only have to do that like three or four, five times before they get the message. Right? Now, imagine if that worst roommate, in all of their annoying habits, imagine if that person had all of eternity to work on that bad habit. To perfect it. To make it worse. Right? I've been leaving my dishes out for all of eternity, so I'm really good at it. You see what I mean? That's why God cares about your character. Because he's got to live with you for eternity. Right? Because if we went up to heaven as we are now, without improving, without being better people, we would turn heaven into hell, frankly. Right? How would heaven be any better than what we're doing now? So, the primary method that God uses when he needs to form our character is other people. You ever think about that? Yeah. Yeah. See, it's amazing to me that we we totally accept that God entrusts the proliferation and translation of the Bible to us, right? It's humanity. It's man. Like some dude just sits down with a dictionary and a pen and he like translates the Bible into like other languages. 
from the Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, right? And we're totally cool with that. We're like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Or, or like he trusts us to like go and preach the gospel. You see what I mean? Like, we're even okay with like animated tomatoes preaching the gospel. You know what I mean? We're like, yeah, we'll trust that to people in cartoons. But the minute somebody starts putting their finger on your life, and going, hey, I need to make you holy so that you're not a holy terror in heaven. We're like, whoa, man, that's only God can judge me. Right? And sometimes he's up in heaven going, yeah, you're a turd. <laughs> I know that's what he was doing when Jeff was in my life. So why wouldn't we trust people around us to help us be sanctified be more holy, be more like Jesus, if God trusts these other things that are just as important to people as well. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah. So, sometimes, to help us along in this process, he puts people in our lives that test us and try our patience. You know what I mean? They're a little uh, abrasive. You know? Um, so here's, here's, this is going to shock y'all, I know, but uh, I, I can be a real judgmental jerk. I know you're surprised by this, right? Um, there have been many times in my life where I meet someone and like I know within moments that I, I just don't like them. Like three words in, I'm like, yep, I want to leave. I don't like you, goodbye, Right? But um, I've learned that I need to fight hard through that reaction because God has put them in my life for a reason. So uh, one time I was at this, this uh, big thing called RUI. Um, it's what you have to attend when you decide to make Chi Alpha a profession. Right? If you want to become a missionary or an intern, you have to go to RUI. And uh, when I was at RUI the first time, uh, I, I ran into this guy. And, man, he just ticked every box that I have of, I want to punch you in the face. You know, can we just be really, like, honest? Is that okay? Right? One of my biggest pet peeves is, like, when you're all hanging out, you know, and then, you know, like, there's that one super spiritual girl or guy that grabs the acoustic guitar and kind of sits a little bit away in the corner and plays worship songs. You know what I'm talking about? Like, close enough to where you feel like, do we have to go over there and sing with them? You know? But really, I just want to sit and talk to my friends about Jesus. Like, he was that guy. Like, everywhere he went, he had an acoustic guitar. Like, stop. Just stop, right? And this was back in the day when, like, hipsters were a thing. Now, I don't know, it's mom jeans. But back, you know, he just totally dressed like a nerd hipster, and I hated it, right? Like, the way he looked, the, everything. Of, ugh. And his personality, he was so happy all the time. You know what I mean? It's just like, how you doing, buddy? He's like, man, God is good. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> it's, you know. But what I realized in, in my initial reactions to him is that if I don't learn how to love him in the week that I'm here, it'll be more of a mark against me than against him. It reveals more about who I am than it does about who he is. And I felt the Lord speaking to my heart, if you don't learn to love this guy right now, you're doomed. Because it reveals that I don't properly value him. It shows 
a lack of Christian maturity on my part. And it shows that I don't think I need him in my life. Isn't that kind of sad? But I came to realize this about myself, that I had the propensity, that this was something I always needed to fight through. By the way, I, uh, I should probably finish the story. I, I decided to get lunch with him. And I got lunch with him every day. And I hung out with him at night. And we became friends. Right? And, and uh, now he's a missionary in, where is it, Kyrgyzstan? Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> he's a missionary in Kyrgyzstan. We're still friends. I actually saw him at Salt. I didn't know he was going to be there. It was really cool. I sent him a book one time. Sent him Christ of the Indian Road. He actually read it. It was awesome. Anyway, he's become a really good friend. And I would have missed out of that. Missed out on that in my life if I hadn't forced myself to value him. If I hadn't made the conscious decision to cherish him. But I, I came to realize this about myself. like that, that I had that propensity through my relationship with Jeff. Jeff Clifton was the one that would point that stuff out. And maybe that's why I gave him such a hard time. And my relationship with Jeff is the other means by which God uses other people to sanctify you. Right? You have just the abrasive people in your life where you're like, okay, this person's rubbing against me in an abrasive way because there's some edge that needs to be sanded down. Does that make sense? But then there's also these other people like Jeff was to me. He was my discipler. Jeff discipled me. Yeah. See, the root of the word discipleship, right? It's a word that we hear a lot in Christian circles. Or the root of the word disciple is discipline. Discipline. It means to be brought under the rule or standard of another person. Right? Yeah. To be discipled is to be brought under the discipline of another person, standard or rule. Yeah. It means to hold yourself to something beyond yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Because the Lord is really gracious. And here's why. Because there's two ways that you can learn lessons in life. One, you can learn through humility, which means learning from others. Or two, you can learn through reality, where you learn from the consequences. Yeah. But here's the deal. The lessons of reality are really costly. They're not cheap. Yeah. While the lessons of humility will only cost you your pride. Yeah. So God, being the gracious and kind God that he is, he puts other people in our life to disciple us. So that we have the opportunity to choose to learn through humility. And not through reality. Does that track? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in order to be a disciple, it, it means to humble ourselves and allow others to speak into our life. Yeah. We have to be brought under the, the discipline of another person. Yeah. Because if we can entrust the preaching of the gospel, if we can entrust the translation of the Bible to man, why can't we trust the sanctification of our hearts to man as well? Yeah? Yeah? Now, the smart among you are starting to go, wait, no, Scroggins, I've been around people, and people are awful. In fact, 
I have a lifetime of evidence that would say people are the worst thing about the planet. Right? Any of y'all heard of the show Scrubs? There's a great quote about human humanity from that show that I won't repeat. Um, but you should look it up. Anyway. I'll tell you off the mic. <laughs> See, if we are all in the process of being sanctified and no one is a finished product this side of heaven, why should we allow another person to have say in our lives? If we are all in the process of being sanctified and no one is a finished product this side of heaven, why should we allow another person to have say in our lives? That's a really fair objection, right? But to follow Paul's analogy from 1 Corinthians 12, the answer is simply that we need one another. We are a body, and we need one another. You've heard it said a million times here, and I'm going to say it again because it's so foundational, is that we are all finite expressions of God's infinite character. Each of us has a unique character and unique personality, and no two of us are exactly alike. Even as much as Donald is similar to me, he is still different. That means that our brothers and sisters around us can see things or have experienced things that we simply cannot. They have wisdom and insight that we are simply incapable of. And just like the hand is capable of things that the foot can only dream about, your brothers and sisters around you are capable of things that you can't even imagine. So to say, I have no need of you, to another person, is to dismiss an infinitely unique and amazing personality and character that God has personally crafted. Does that track? That's why it was reprehensible in my heart to look at my friend at RUI and just be like, no, I don't like you. I'm not going to get to know you. And what is worst is that that attitude, the attitude of I don't need you, that at its core is the same mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden all those years ago. Just think about it, right? They essentially said, I don't need you, God. They decided they knew how to do life better than anyone else. They decided that they knew what was best for them more than anyone else. I have no need of you. So to have the attitude of, I have no need of you, is to have the spirit of the serpent and not the spirit of a saint. So does this mean that I should let anyone have a say in my life? No, that would be dumb. So what are the standards? Who should I allow the Lord to use in my life to sanctify me, to make me more like Jesus? I have two guiding principles, and they're pretty simple. How well do they love you? And how much do they look like Jesus? How well do they love you? And how much do they look like Jesus? These two work together in tandem. Because it's possible to have someone look a lot like Jesus in a superficial manner, right? Like, do y'all remember? Um, I think it was the last guy off of the last semester where we talked about Wojtek, the Polish armor army bear. Remember him? He like, he was a 
It's a really cool story. You should look it up on Wikipedia. And I'm gonna not be a history nerd for a minute. Basically, this Polish army that, like, uh, during World War II, they escaped the Germans, and then they had a bear cub for some reason. And the Brits were like, you can't bring that around us. And they're like, no, he's a soldier. And so they dressed him up like a soldier, and he would march and drink vodka and smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> True story. But I mean, Wojtek did everything that a soldier was supposed to do, but he definitely wasn't one. He was still a bear, you know? And, you know, as anyone that's kind of engaged in, like, the Christian entertainment sphere right now, you would know that there's a lot of popular podcasts and docuseries out there about preachers that everyone saw a lot of superficial Jesus in, but then they turned out to be horribly selfish, right? And sometimes it can be easy to confuse people. They claim Christ's position or even Christ's purpose while not striving for Christ's person. Right? So that's why these two work in tandem. Not only do they have to look like Jesus, but they also have to love you well. See, they must love you with an agape love. This is a love that values you above themselves. It's a love that wants what's best for you at all times. So what's an easy way to determine if they love you like this? It's how willing are they to hurt your feelings? Are they willing to value your eternity more than the current conditions of your emotions? Are they willing to end a friendship for the sake of you loving Jesus? One of my, one of my buds, he's from this small country town that nobody's ever heard of. And uh, he was trying to build a small group back home over the summer. He's ministering to this one guy that was just a rowdy kind of dude, right? After a pasture party, he tried to drive home. And my friend, Eric, like, was like, no, I'm not going to let you drive like this. The dude's like, well, you're going to have to stop me. So my buddy Eric stopped him. He got behind him, got him in a rear naked choke, and made him pass out. After he knocked him unconscious, he shoved him in the back of the truck, drove him to his house, put him in his bed. The next day, that guy woke up and was like, I hate you, and I will never talk to you again. And as far as I know, he's kept his word. But he's alive. That's what agape love is. That's what I'm talking about. That level of love. And it just doesn't apply to like extremes like drunk driving. What about you being a jerk? What about you being cruel to people? What about you and some bad habits that you've built up over the course of walking through this messed up world? Yeah. Not saying any of those habits are your fault. We're all broken people trying to cope in a broken world and our coping mechanisms are not always the best. But sometimes the people around us can see that and they're like, hey, you need to stop doing that. Doesn't that count too? So do you love someone that much? Does someone love you that much? Discipleship is one of those church buzzwords that has almost lost all of its meaning. 
right? I'm sure some of you have heard it before. And to some of you, it might be like some workbook or like a program where you like memorize and recite scripture together, you know? And it's usually after you've ripped them completely out of context and distorted their meaning. Um, but that's just my, my thing, whatever. Or maybe you thought discipleship was some kind of group where you sit around and talk about all the naughty things you did last week, you know? It's like, for dudes, it's like, well, I looked at a girl wrong. You're like, yeah, me too. You know, and it's like really depressing. I don't know what girls do, paint their toenails? I don't know. Or maybe some of you come out of a different background where, like in your church, discipleship was some kind of sick power dynamic where someone tried to dictate every minute detail of your life to you. But that's not what discipleship is. Discipleship is allowing Jesus to use other people in your life to be sanctified. It's looking at the people around you and going, you look like Jesus and you love me better than anyone else. I'm going to trust you with my life. Because we're talking about the methods of Jesus. Jesus' character was the very breath of heaven. And he demonstrated his self-sacrificial love by dying on the cross. And here's the thing. If the person in your life that's discipling you, right, or trying to establish that relationship with you, or, or you think you can allow them, here's the deal. That person will be like Jesus. And they'll stand at the door and they'll knock. Yeah. Remember that part in the Bible? It's the saddest part of the whole Bible. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Right? He doesn't do the whole Kool-Aid man and blow through the wall, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, right? <laughs> he's just knocking at the door. And he's waiting for you to open. And this is the greatest challenge. This is what you will have to overcome. You will have to trust the Jesus in someone else. Trust the way that they have loved you enough to open the door and let them in. Because we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how do you open that door? This is really long, I'm sorry. I told my wife this is like a Rube Goldberg machine of a sermon. But we're on a journey, we're on an adventure. So how do you show to somebody that you've opened that door? What I do is I ask this question. How do you think I'm doing? How do you think I'm doing? I had one person tell me that I came across as really insecure one time. Because I asked, how do you think I'm doing? Apparently too much. Right? And the way it was coming across to them is that, is like someone that was just like, please affirm me. Right? Like, I need affirmation. Please tell me I'm doing well. And that's how I was coming across. Which, if you know me, is ridiculous. Because <laughs> I'm not that person. Like, Scroggins, you suck. Okay. Scroggins, you're the greatest. I'm really not, but whatever. I just, you know, I'm not an affirmation kind of person. Right? But what I was trying to do is, I was trying to invite them into my life. I was trying to open the door. And show them that I was giving them say in my life. 
Why? Because they're a finite creation of God's infinite character. Because that person had things that they could see that I wasn't capable of seeing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I valued them and cherished them. Like, there's a piece of God in you. There's an image of God marked upon you that, that is, like, unique in all of history, in all of space and time. And this is my only chance to allow that into my heart. So how do you think I'm doing? I'm convinced that we see so little depth and so very little maturity in the church today because so few have ever truly allowed themselves to be discipled. There is no Christian maturity without discipleship. And there is no discipleship without humbly allowing others to peer into your life. Most of you may have thought that you have, you're in a small group and being discipled. But I promise you, you're not. Unless you have done this. Unless you have opened up your heart enough to where when somebody says something hard to you, somebody says something to you that hits on an insecurity or pushes a button, unless you accept it and trust them because they have the character of Jesus and they've loved you well, unless you've trusted that word from them, you haven't been discipled. You just have some good friends. So, are you being discipled? Have you taken your life, your character, your personality, and placed it into the hands of someone else? Have you allowed them to point out what needs to be changed? Have you asked them to help you be more like Jesus? There are only two reasons for you to answer no. The first, no one has earned the right to do this in your life. But in a room like this one, I doubt that that's true. Because I know the people in this room. The other reason is that in your heart, you're saying, I have no need of you. You're like the head speaking to the foot, or the eye speaking to the hand. I don't need you. And you got a little bit more snake in you than you thought. So my prayer for you in this time that you're with us here in Chi Alpha is that you would know the depth and the beauty of truly being a part of the body of Christ. By love and trust. And allowing other people to actually speak into your life. Allowing other people to be the hands and feet of Jesus in your life. So that you can look more like him. I hope that you love and trust one another to such a degree that others can speak to you and you change. That's my hope. My fear is that pride and fear would handcuff some of you. And then some of you would be tempted to amputate yourself from the body of Christ and slowly wither away. If this feels like life and death, 
feels really heavy? It's because it is. This is the difference between just going to church and being a part of the body. It's that you love and trust one another. So here's what we're going to do. Is I want y'all to get together in small groups. And we're going to have some music playing. And it's going to be a really low-key, hangout kind of thing. But I want you to get together in your small groups. Right? If you don't know what a small group is, then slap the person that brought you and didn't tell you about it. But get together in your group. And I want you to have a really frank discussion. I want, to have, I want you to have a really honest discussion with each other. Have I really allowed myself to be discipled? Does that make sense? It's, look, no is a completely valid answer. Because we're, we are striving to be like Jesus here. We ain't going to kick that door in. You're just going to miss out on something really beautiful. Yeah? So you'll get together. Ask yourselves that question. Am I allowing myself to be discipled? And if the answer is no, and you dare, maybe you can talk about why. And if in your small group everything's honky-dory, then get together, tell each other how much you love each other and why you trust each other, and cry and hug, I guess. Or... Yeah? So we're going to play some music, and y'all find a space in the room just to get together and talk.